0: We are we are glad you're here this weekend. And I started a series two weeks ago about the fruit of the spirit. If you're if you're new to the Bible, new to Scripture, uh, that's just a phrase in Scripture found in Galatians, and, and we're going to walk through that today. And uh, and so we looked at the first two weeks of love because I believe it's just my personal opinion. Uh, you you can take another position, and that is fine. Uh, I believe there's only one fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is love. That's singular. And then it displays itself in eight characteristics or eight ways: joy, peace, love, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and, and, and so that's and so we're we're walking through. And so today we're we're going to talk about this issue of joy. Now listen, there, there, here a while back I was I was like reading, and I was reading really for entertainment or for leisure. It wasn't you know sermon research or anything like that. And it was by a book. It was a book written by <coughs> by a guy by the name of Bruce Larson. A chapter title has never convicted me until I read his book. And so the, the title of a chapter in his book uh, simply said this. It was a question. Are you fun to live with? Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of feel the same emotion I felt, right? Are you, are you fun to live with? Are you fun to work with? Are you fun? No personal testimonies right now, right? Are you fun to work with? Are you fun to live with? Are you fun to live in the same neighborhood with? Are are you fun to hang out with? I mean, if if you're like me, I read that, and that's a really convicting title. Because when you start looking at Scripture, scripture, a genuine Christian, a spirit-filled Christian, we're going to talk about that, is a person that's fun to live with is a person that has been transformed by, by Christ. And it says, if, if the Spirit is in you, then walk in the Spirit. And, and so Jesus wants to come into our life and not only transform us and forgive us of sins, but he wants us to live our life in a, such a way that we, we display his characteristics, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is, there, there is no law. And so we come to Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, and, and, and to grab the context I'm going to go all the way back up, back up to ch- uh, verse 19 and then read through 25 so you can see the context of, of, of the fruit of the Spirit. And today we're going to talk about this issue of joy. And so in, in Galatians chapter 5 verse 19, and they, they, they Paul begins writing to this local church and he lists off, he lists off a group of sins. It's a group of sins that a lot of people don't like to talk about anymore. They don't even view God like that. They just kind of view God. they like, God's okay with anything that I decide to do. And so he's, he's not a God that, has, that gets upset over anything or looks at anything like that. And so I want to read this list to you just as we understand the transition into the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. In other words, our flesh, and he goes, sexual immorality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, insult, and sorcery. So the first may be pretty predictable to us, right? It's talking about sexual immorality and some of the other things. And so the first six may be pretty predictable to us. And now when you start reading the next few, all of a sudden it's, it's not as predictable, right? Because It's in the same line. And all of a sudden he starts talking about our attitude. He starts talking about our personality. And so watch this. Then he says, then he says, In enmity and strife and jealousy and fits of, of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and division and envy, drunkenness and orgies, and these, these things like these. And I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so when you look at his list. Some are very predictable, right? But when you look at this list, half the list has to do with, let, let me teach you just a, a theological term, half the list has to do with the sins of disposition, the sins of personality, the sins of attitude. See, a lot of times we don't look at those as sins, right? A lot of times we say, that's just how I'm wired, that's just who I am, I, that's just how I handle situations. But yet you see something totally different here. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's just, he he starts making this transition in verse 22, and he says, but, in other words, it's a contrast. It's a contrast between the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit. And so he goes, but, he says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. In other words, there's not a law against love, and there's not a law against joy, and there's not a law against peace and faithfulness and all of those other things. In verse 24, and he says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So he's talking about the first part of that list. If, conditional, if we live by the Spirit, if the Spirit is in us, if we're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit also. In other words, what he's saying is, if, if we kept in spirit in step with the Spirit, we should live life differently. In other words, we should, be, we should be like fun to live with. I mean, yeah, we all have our sour moments, right? And we all have our moments. But he's talking about overall, when Christ comes into your life, he changes everything. And he begins transforming, yes, even our personalities. And so we spent two weeks on this issue of love because I believe it was foundational for us to understand. And now we're just going to start taking a word each week and look at these things. And this week we're going to look at love. C.S. Lewis, who is a writer and theologian many years ago, he wrote a little book called Surprise with Joy. And and, and there's an interesting chapter and an interesting phrase that he talked about his transformation when he came to Christ. And he says, when I became a Christian, there was like this new sense of contentment. There was this new sense of joy that I I, I did not expect. Let, Let me tell you this morning. Do not confuse joy with happiness. And I think that's where we have a problem. Do not confuse joy with happiness. Listen, happiness is dependent upon your circumstances. Happiness is dependent upon what happens to you. Happiness is dependent upon some things outside of you. Joy is internal. Happiness is external. Listen, joy is not dependent on uncontrollable circumstances. And if we're honest, right... Really, we can't control our circumstances. We can't control how someone treats us. We can't control what someone says to us. We can't control, I mean, if we're honest, we can't control all the circumstances around us. So joy is not dependent upon uncontrollable circumstances. Joy is dependent upon the dependability of God. In other words, joy is not tied to the external. Joy is tied to the internal. Joy is not tied to our circumstances. Joy is tied to God, and we've got to understand that this morning. I mean, joy gives us th- this inner sense of, of, of satisfaction. I mean, I mean, when you, if, if you just take a, some Bible software, and you look up the word joy, joyful, rejoice, which is just another word for joy, and you do a word search on that, you will realize that joy appears in Scripture over 300 times. 300 times the Bible talks about this issue of joy. And if you take, that, you take that Bible software and you look at happy happiness, I mean, it's, only, it's like less than 30. In fact, the Bible even hardly addresses it. And so when you look at this issue, the Christians, we're supposed to have a joyful spirit even in difficult circumstances. And John Maxwell is the guy that said, he, he, he made this, this comment one time, <coughs> excuse me. and he said, joy is the fruit that never goes out of season. It's always in season. So this morning, I just, I just want to walk through you with like, is, like I would consider this as an old school outline. Like my preaching professor in seminary, I mean, he would love this outline because the blanks all start with the same letter. And so let, let, me, let me give you this outline because I think it's important and we're going to back through it. I want to talk to you this morning about the enemies of joy. I want to give you an example of joy, and then I want to help you understand how we experience joy. I mean, a biblical definition of joy, because when I, when I talk with Christians, you know what I hear a lot? You know what I need? I need more joy. I need more joy in the society in which we live, the times in which we live, the circumstances that I'm having to deal with. You know what I could use? I could, I could use this issue of joy. So the first thing is I want to do is I want to give you the enemies of joy. Because I think as we walk through this, we just got to be honest. There are some things that rob us of our joy. In fact, as Jesus talked about that, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. I've come to give you that issue of joy. And so there's some things in our life that we can look at and say, you know what? They're enemies or they rob us of joy. The first thing is this, improper training improper training will rob you of your joy some of you may have had parents or guardians who who raised you and they they have programmed you with a critical cynical attitude in your life you grew up in a home of just legalism or cynicism or criticism and in your home, there was not much optimism, there wasn't much joy, there wasn't much, much laughter. fact is, laughter was really infrequent in your home. fact is, you may describe your home as kind of just a stern place. And maybe your family went to church, but you know what? Your church reflected your home. I mean, you went to a church that was just kind of, it was, it was stern. I mean, it was kind of legalistic, and there wasn't much laughter. There wasn't much joy. Nobody ever really celebrated. And as a result of that, you have been programmed with this cynical, critical attitude. And although you've been a Christian for a number of years, man, you still find yourself fighting those attitudes. You still find yourself mimicking the attitudes of your home. And if you're not careful, you can be skeptical. You can be skeptical of upbeat people. You can be skeptical of positive people. You can be skeptical of that person that still has this sense of joy or peace, even in the midst of, of, of difficult circumstances, and you can wonder if it's real, you can wonder if it's fake. And so the way that you get attention in life is like just, just cynicism and, and, and criticism, and, and I'm here to tell you, Jesus wants to reprogram your personality. A Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, do not become, be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by... That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. So the first one is this, is improper training. Here's the second one that will destroy us, an enemy of our joy. Unresolved guilt. You don't feel forgiven. King Arthur in Camelot said this. He says, one cannot be wicked and happy at the same time. The writer of Proverbs would phrase it this way. He said, Proverbs twelve twenty eight, The hope of the righteous brings joy but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Maybe in your life for you, you know, you'd say, hey, this is the one I struggle with. So I did in my past. And there's a feeling of discontentment in your life because of a sin or a transgression in your past. And and as a result of that, you got this unresolved guilt. And so, so you don't truly feel forgiven. You don't feel released of your past. And as a result of that, it's hard for you to have joy. I realized this a number of years ago. Is a lot of years ago, uh, we had a wonderful family in our church that I thought the world of. They were in our church for about six months, and they came to me and says, "Hey, this is going to be like our last weekend. We we can't we can't stay here." And I mean, it kind of hurt my feelings. And I'm like, "Why?" And they go, "We love everything about your church except for this. You guys laugh. You guys clap." You celebrate some things, and and you 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 like tell jokes. (laughs) So are they funny? (laughs) And she said you don't you don't understand. And she had told me what she had done in her past. She said I I just don't feel forgiven. What I need, I need a church service more like a funeral, so I can mourn my past. Where there's no laughter, there's no celebration. There's no joy. That's that's what I need in my life. Like, what you need in your life is to understand what Jesus Christ has done for you. You don't have to live in that stuff anymore. I don't care what you've done. So, maybe for you, it's a divorce. Maybe for you, it was a divorce, and it it like ripped your heart out. And you've never gotten over it. And you never felt like God's forgiven you for that. Maybe you got in trouble with the law and it was a little bit public and you're embarrassed by that and you've never been able to move on for whatever reason. Maybe you violated your own ethical or moral code in your life to the point where you've never been able to recover. Maybe you you carry guilt in parenting and you rehearse those things over and over. Listen, I'm telling you, this issue of guilt over past mistakes takes the joy out of a lot of people. King David, okay, King David struggled with this. He, King David committed adultery uh, for a year and a half. He lived in denial. He lived in guilt. He lived in all of those things. And then all of a sudden, he repented and something happened. And then in Psalm 51, you can read it for himself, yourself. It's his prayer of reinstatement. It's a prayer of confession. I just want to read one verse, verse 12. Here, here's what he said. It's, it's, it's a great prayer. Restore to me the joy, the joy of of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit, the good news is this, that Jesus Christ wants to erase your past completely and give you a spirit of joy. Maybe yours. Here's, here's another enemy. Here's another enemy of joy, a wounded ego. Someone showed you some disrespect. Someone didn't respect you. Someone hurt you. They said something about you. Someone hurt your self-esteem. Uh, someone put you down. Someone you felt... You, you feel unappreciated, and as a result of that, you got this—you got this—you got this—this this, this wounded ego. I, I, I felt this a couple of weeks ago. I purposely uh, have a lot of friends in the community, and I sit on, on various boards and various organizations, and it's predominantly non-Christians. And I do that for a reason, so so that a pastor can have a voice into the community. And so I'm in this meeting, and, and this one individual was not happy at all that a pastor was there. I mean, none of them were Christ followers. None of them went to our church. So I'm not going to tell you. Don't even try to figure it out. And so, uh, and so this individual kept making derogatory term uh, comments about Christianity, about a pastor. And, and me personally, I'm just getting a little tired that our world is trying to silence the voice of Bible-believing Christians. And I'm getting tired of it. And someone that upholds Judeo-Christian values, opens up the scriptures, apply them properly without, without hurt and pain and all that other stuff. And so finally, I, I had one of these coughing, you know, I cough, and you know, guys know that. The individual turned to me, and I'd been coughing, and he, and he says, You're a pastor. Do you smoke? I'd about had enough at this point. Because I'm one, I thought it was pretty personal. I'm not asking you to confess anything. <laughs> and so I said, I said, as a matter of fact, I do. I smoke a lot. And it got tense just like it got in here, right? And he looked at me and says, Well, what do you smoke? It's Colorado. <laughs> I said, I tell you what I smoke. I smoke chickens, I smoke briskets, I smoke (laughs) ribs, I smoke a lot of ribs. I smoke ribs every chance I get. You know what? I'm going to go home. I'm smoking some ribs this afternoon. That's what I'm doing. If you're not careful, listen, I'm telling you, you can have a wounded ego the way the world treats you and the way the world tries to silence your voice of a Judeo-Christian. When you hold Judeo-Biblical Christian beliefs, if you're not careful... If you're not careful, it will, it's an enemy of joy. Here may be the most popular, unpleasant circumstances. Maybe you'd say, you know what, in my life, one time I was positive, I was upbeat, I was joyful, I had passion for life, and something happened in my life, and it like, it like fell apart. I wasn't able to reach my goals, you felt like a failure, you lost your job, your mate left, your health broke, your stocks collapsed. And maybe you're, listen, maybe you're able to put on a good front in public, but in your home, when the door closes, you're not a lot of fun to live with. You're solemn, you're depressed. You thought the Christian life was going to be different. You thought it was going to be like perfect, You had unrealistic. In other words, you had unrealistic expectations and Proverbs addresses that. Proverbs 14, 13, he says, "Even, even in laughter, the heart may ache. And in the end, of joy may be, may, gr- may be grief. I don't know if you guys have ever watched The Office. There's a story of Michael Scott, in case you haven't. And Michael Scott is played by Steve Carell. And, and he's, he's like a little office manager of a, of a paper company. And, he, you know, he, he's hilarious. He's the life of the party. He's the center of attention. He's a manager uh, I mean, he is he is hilarious. And then, as you get in season after season after season, you know what you realize? You realize that Michael Scott has no joy. He's sad. He's depressed. He's lonely. He felt like he should have been farther in his career than when he, where he was. He has he has no real friends. Fact is, when they throw an office party, they don't even invite him. Listen, it is possible that you you can. You can put on a good front in public right, but the Scripture says even in laughter. Because, see, this issue of joy is not external, it's internal. So so we got to understand there's some enemies of joy, but I want to give you an example of joy. And I want to use the example of Jesus Christ, John chapter 15. And I I didn't tell you to turn there, and I should have. But John chapter 15 is the greatest example, I think, of joy that I think we can find. And, And Jesus is an example of that. In John chapter 15, just just a little bit of context, Jesus is is, is preparing to die. His enemies are are coming to arrest him. His enemies are coming for him. Uh, The enemies are also working in the court systems of getting some false witnesses to falsely testify against him. So as a result of that, Jesus gathers the disciples and says, go to the upper room. Uh, And what makes this setting so impressive is is Jesus knew he was going to suffer and die. Fact is, he'd already told his disciples that he was going to suffer and die and to go to the go to go to the upper room. And so Jesus knew exactly what was ahead of him. And to make to make matters even worse, like if this wasn't bad enough, to make matters even worse, his friends were going to betray him. In fact, is they'd already started betraying him. Uh, um, Judas had already sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. Judas, Judas is not even in the group anymore. Simon Peter is the one that's like beating his chest and said, I will never leave you. I will go with you. I will die with you if I have to. Yet Jesus knew the truth, and Jesus knew that Simon Peter was going to betray him. To make matters even worse, when Jesus entered the upper room, his disciples didn't even pay him the most common courtesy, the most common respect. Uh, When he entered the room, they didn't even wash his feet. You know what they were doing? They were arguing over who was the greatest. They were having this battle. Which one was, was was greater? It's hard to imagine a setting, a situation, circumstances much more difficult than that. John 15, 8. By this, my father Jesus begins talking, and guess what? In John chapter 15, seven different times, Jesus talks about joy. Fact is that you, you, you can study it for yourself. Whenever the Bible talks about this issue of joy, it's usually in difficult circumstances. It's usually in difficult moments. And so seven times, verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have love for you. Abide, which is just a a word that means remain. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you. That my joy may be in you. And that your joy... be running on empty that your joy can be like barely there no that your joy can can be full regardless of circumstances regardless of situation this i mean this is so impressive to me the night when life seemed to be coming unraveled jesus christ talks about this issue of joy Man, you look at scripture and you find that Jesus was a joy to be around. I mean, he was hilarious. We, we, don't, under, we don't understand that because we don't understand. We're not, we're not first hearers of, of this. We're not first century Christians, so we don't understand their, their humor. Every society has kind of, every culture has different humor and different slant. And so Jesus would he'd show up at, at weddings and he'd show up at feasts and he'd show up at celebrations. He's showing up at birthday parties and everybody wanted him there. Even when he preached, he used humor. We just don't understand their humor. When Jesus said, said, how can you take a speck out of your neighbor's eye when there's like a log, a two-by-four in, in, in your eye, you know what? They're, they're, that is hysterical to them. They are, they are like laughing. And then all of a sudden you look at this, and, 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 and you even look at his life, and some people, conf- they criticize Jesus for either hanging out with the wrong people or having way too much joy in his life in the final moments of his life. He begins talking about love and joy and just remain in me and abide in me. I've told you this so that you may have joy and your joy may be full or your joy may be complete. And then he, he leaves, he leaves the upper room and it isn't, it isn't pleasant going to the cross. And I mean, he's honest and he tells the disciples, he tells them that my soul is overwhelmed and sorrowful to the point of death. But when he stepped into the garden of Gethsemane, he stepped in the garden of Gethsemane with joy. And there's a reason for that. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, this is what they say about his joy. "He says, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Even though he had to go to the cross, he still had joy. So the question for us this morning, we're going to spend the rest of our time on this. How do we experience joy? Because that's the question we're all asking, right? If you're like most people in the seasons and the circumstances that most of us live in, people are asking, how do I get more joy in my life? How do I get more joy in the circumstances and situations that are around me? There's three things I want to give you this morning, and then we'll close. The first one is this. Develop and maintain a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Develop and maintain a, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was talking about, says, if the Spirit is in you, if the Spirit is in you, then walk in the Spirit or stay in step with the Spirit. Jesus put it this way, verse 5, John chapter 15. He said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am in him, he it is bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, is thrown away like a branch and it withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire. Whenever I, whenever I read this verse, I think of Christmas time. Uh, we, we, we had a tradition in our family that we'd get our, we'd get our family together and we'd go down and we'd, the forest service and we'd get a permit and we'd go up into the mountains and we'd like whack a tree down and we'd drag it back to Pueblo and we'd stick it in our house and we'd put, you know, lights on it and decorations on it. And then when people would come over, you know what they'd say? They'd look at it and say, Oh, what a, what a, what a, what a beautiful tree. In reality, that tree's dying. In a few days, we're going to drag that tree down to the event center, and they're going to like grind it up into mulch, or they're going to burn it, or do whatever they do with it. But it's it's dying, and if we're cut off from the trunk of Jesus Christ, we can cover it up with laughter, with fake smiles, with some religious talk, but down deep. Down deep, we're withering, and we're dying. Down deep, the scripture would say it even so different. It would say we're spiritually dead. The the first step, if you want joy, is enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, to where you come to that place to where you accept him. You ask him to come into your life. You ask him to erase the past, to cover those sins, to, to, to forgive you of that. So that you have this new life in Christ, and then you begin walking with him. That's what C.S. Lewis was saying, that when he became a Christian, the sense of joy and contentment was unexpected. Nobody told him about that. And then it doesn't end there. You enter into a personal relationship with him, and then you maintain it, or you walk with him. And the way that you walk with him is all of a sudden there's a priority in your life. There's a priority of, of, of worship weekly. To weekly, you gather with Christians, and weekly, you worship. And, and, and then daily, you open up the Scriptures. You saturate yourself with the Word. In other words, you don't only worship weekly. That's why we Life Journal here. You open up the Word, and it's not some religious exercise for you. You know what it is? It is God speaking into your life, and you read the Scriptures, and you apply the Scriptures to your life, and you learn to pray. You learn. Listen, you learn to connect with Him. You learn Psalm 46, 10, be still and know that I am God. Know that I am with you. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God with your spiritual act of worship. In other words, he's saying you you walk in God's will. You make a priority of worship. You make a priority of opening up his word. You make a priority of gathering with God's people. And you'll have this joy that transcends your circumstances. I mean, I'm telling you, everywhere you see, Nehemiah 18, it's something that we quote, right? The joy of the Lord is our strength. I mean, it's a difficult time in Nehemiah's life. Look at where this verse, it only appears in Scripture once. And here, Nehemiah 8.10, then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has, who has nothing ready. For this day is, is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for guess what? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Your joy is not tied to your circumstances. Your joy is tied to the faithfulness and the dependability of God. Even in the midst of difficult circumstances, Simon Peter put it this way. Uh, 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Why are we always surprised? As though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice. That's another word for joy. Insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. The first step is to, to come into a relationship with Christ and maintain that relationship with spiritual disciplines, with spiritual rhythms. The second one is this. Give yourself sacrificially to the service of other people. Give yourself sacrificially to the service of other people. Sometimes depression, I'm not saying it's all the time, but sometimes depression is tied to self-pity. It's tied to self-centeredness. And one of the ways, listen, one of the ways that you get joy, think about yourself less and think about other people more. Find someone you can minister to. Find somebody you can help. Find somebody you, that, that, that God will use you to meet their needs. Jesus in verse 11 said, he says, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You, you want to have joy in your life? Think of yourself less and think of others more. Find someone who needs your help and minister to them. Visit someone in a nursing home. Mow somebody's grass in your neighborhood. You cannot mow their own. Shovel somebody's snow. can't shovel their snow. Write an encouraging note. Send an encouraging text message. Somebody just needs encouragement. Help somebody. Find a ministry within this church. And just start serving. I'm telling you, you talk to people of this church that are serving in an area of ministry, they'll talk about this issue of joy. They'll talk about understanding that they have this this purpose, this eternal purpose. That brings us to the last one. Focus daily on the eternal and not the internal or the temporal. Focus on the internal and not the temporal. The reason that Jesus could enter this time and speak about joy, because he knew the resurrection was coming. In John 16:21, he talks about, he says, when, when a woman is giving, giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now. But I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice. And no one, it's a huge promise. No one will take your joy from you. Listen, I'm kind of nervous even interpreting this verse because I, I like, have no firsthand information of this. Except I was in the room for two deliveries, and I went natural. Um, (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) But as a man, what he was saying, that even in a painful situation, if there is an anticipation of what is to come, you can get through it. With joy, as Christians, we live with joy because we know what's to come. We know eternal rewards are coming. Can I just tell you this? The the way we see joy, the theology, our theology of joy, is the way we help others. Just saying. For instance, someone's suffering around you. And if you see that joy is tied to circumstances, then you will speak into their life and try to help them understand why their circumstances aren't that bad. You'll try to make sense of circumstances that there's no making sense of. You'll try to give them some flippant answers of why they're going through that, why they're suffering. Because you really believe at the root, joy is tied to circumstance. And if I can just help this individual understand their circumstances, they're going to have joy. You don't find that in Scripture. The fact is, you find quite the opposite in Scripture. Sometimes, if we're honest, we go through stuff there is no answer to, right? Someone that understands the theology of joy, understands that joy is not tied to circumstances. Joy is taught... Joy is tied to the faithfulness and the dependability of God. Regardless of what you walk through. Regardless if it makes sense. And the way we step into that is help people understand the faithfulness and the dependability of God. God. This week, our family had been praying and fasting just for an answer. And the answer didn't come back the way we wanted it to. And I sent out a text message to a group of friends that had been praying for us. And if I can find the text message, uh, because this is just for you guys. A friend texted me back, and he put James 1 and 2, James chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and he simply said, count it all joy, brothers, when you face various kinds of trials, because it produces in you steadfastness and character, and then dot, dot, dot. I believe in you. I love you. I'm thinking of you and your family, and I'm praying for you. When you understand the theology of joy, when people go through suffering, you help connect them to the faithfulness and the dependability of God. And when you understand that, guess what? We can still go through difficult circumstances. We can still go through hurtful times. But we can go through it with a sense of joy because our confidence is not in anything else but Him. And that way we can laugh and we can still have joy. When I was raising kids and we had kids in the home, I always loved to hear my kids laugh. I hated to hear them bicker. But I loved to hear them laugh. And I think God is the same way with us. He loves to hear his children laugh, but he doesn't like to hear them bicker. That's why we understand this issue of joy. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?